Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dagish America Presents. I am your host, Ben Harl, and as always, I'm so glad that you joined us. In the last few episodes, we talked about the most used fumigants in the United States, phosphine, methyl bromide, and sulfuryl fluoride. Each of these fumigants have their place in the industry, and it's a really good idea to be familiar with all three. As a fumigator, you'll most likely have need for all of them at one time or another. And of course, you can't use any of these fumigants on the job site until you get the fumigants to the job site. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about transportation. Fumigants are considered to be hazardous materials, and so there are some very particular rules to transporting them. It takes special licensing and endorsements to transport them yourself. You'll also need to travel with a bill of lading as well as an up-to-date driver log. Now listen, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy to become a hazmat endorsed driver because it's not. It takes some pretty rigorous studying. The exams aren't exactly easy and maintaining a commercial driver's license with a hazmat endorsement is more difficult than a standard driver's license. And it also takes a lot of special care and attention to transport hazardous materials. There are pre-trip inspections, rules about where you can stop and what roadways you can travel, and a lot of other pretty specific steps to be legal and safe. But you know, once you learn the rules and get familiar with the steps to transportation, it's just like any other part of the job. You'll learn the ropes and get good at it. In order to help you navigate this, we've invited Scott Parsons to join us today. Scott is a retired Virginia State Police officer who performed over 6,400 motor carrier inspections during his tenure. Scott has recently retired from the Virginia State Police after 24 years and now offers consultation to companies who have need to transport hazardous materials. So please help me welcome Scott to the podcast. Scott, it's great to talk to you again. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really happy that you could be here with us. Um, you know, I kind of gave a little bit of an introduction to who you are uh, prior, you know, just kind of the fact that you're a retired Virginia State Police officer with a background in hazmat transportation. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you relate to the hazardous material transportation portion of our industry. Absolutely. I started with the Virginia State Police in 1996. I was with the military before that and went through college before that. So I joined in 1996. I was a road trooper in Virginia in a rural county for about, oh, four or five years. And then they uh, sent me to training for the DOT, which we call the A and B course, which is the, the basic. It's um, the driver and, and vehicle, how to inspect them. And then um, in 2007, I joined the motor carrier unit for the Virginia State Police, which is a full-time position. And all we did was truck checks, crash investigations, and then dealt with you know local trucking companies and helped them out when we could. So when you join the motor carrier unit full-time, um, they require you to go through a general hazmat school, bulk package, other bulk package schools. And after each one of those, you have to do a certain number of training checks with a training officer who's already been qualified. And then in addition to that, we got sent to, or I got sent to motor coach training and radioactive hazmat training as well. So it's, um, it's, it's been quite a long, 
hall to get all this training. And then after all those, you still have to do all the training checks. Throughout my career, I've done over 6,400 roadside checks. Wow. And I can't even tell you how many post-crash investigations and safety talks and things like that I've done. I retired this month, October 2020, on October 1st, and just basically starting my own consulting business for DOT. And that's where we are right now. Oh, well, congratulations on the retirement. Sounds like you uh, it's well-deserved. <laughs> it's it was it was time to go for me. Yes, sure, sure, I understand that. Yeah, but it sounds to me like it's not really a retirement. It's just a transition into another full time job. Maybe <laughs> I, I feel like I might be working harder now than I was before. So sure, it's it's definitely been a uh, been fun. I'm I'm enjoying it. Well, that's good. That's good. So uh, I definitely think we have the right person to talk to us about uh, the transportation hazardous materials. But I do want to give a disclaimer to all of our listeners here. So I'm going to read this. This is something that that Scott put together, and I, I definitely think it's valuable here. And so I'll just read it, and, and we'll go from there. So uh, just keep in mind, folks, that this podcast is meant to be entertaining and informative uh, in order to give the listener a path to follow and things to think about. The federal regulations discussed in this program are the rules and regulations as published by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration and the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration. But each state may have additional regulations that need to be followed. So the opinions that we're expressing on this show are meant as general guidelines and not as the final rules regarding the specific hazmat that you may be hauling or shipping. So we're going to encourage you to check with your local regulatory agencies before shipping or transporting any hazardous materials just to make sure that all the rules and regulations are followed. Our goal, of course, is to bring awareness to different aspects of the transportation of hazardous material along America's highways and interstates. And it's our hope that by doing this, that we can help in making the entire industry a little bit safer. We just want to make sure that all of you that are listening, that you understand that while we both have some experience with (laughs) transportation hazardous materials, regulations change very often. I don't know, did I leave anything out there, Scott, or did that cover it for the most part? I think that's pretty good. Okay, good, good. I just wanted to make sure. All right, so the transportation hazardous materials, this is one of the things that I think that fumigators specifically really are hesitant to do, and it's one of those things that people are in fear of, not necessarily because the products are unsafe, but because of the regulatory requirements and some of the repercussions that can happen if you're not following those regulatory requirements. You know, uh, we as fumigators, we're expected to keep track of so many different things uh, from a regulatory perspective, and this adds another layer to that. And it really adds some hesitation for folks in our industry. So I was kind of hoping that you could kind of clear some of that up for us as we're having this discussion to kind of alleviate some of those fears and to make sure that people know that this is just another aspect of the job. And, and as long as you're doing it according to the rules, that you can be very safe in doing it. I mean, that's kind of the goal today. And again, I can't thank you enough for being on with us, Scott. I, I definitely think you're the right guy to, to kind of navigate this. And I just want to kind of jump right in, actually, and just right out of the gate. What kind of license do you even need in order to transport hazardous materials? Your normal CDL driver or driver, and that's kind of what I'm going to focus on. There are other licensings that licenses that might be required by state and federal agencies in order to transport it for the company, but I'm going to 
touch on the driver. That's where um, the expertise where I come from on roadside. Normally, you need a hazmat endorsement depending on the type of vehicle you're driving. Anything between 10,000 pounds, 10,001 pounds, and 26,000 pounds does not require a CDL. However, you can still transport hazmat in that vehicle. If you're operating a vehicle with a gross vehicle weight rating above 26,000, which means 26,001 or higher, you may need a class A or B CDL, depending on whether you're pulling a trailer or not. Then in addition to that, you have to take into account the type of hazmat you carry. And if it's a tanker or you're carrying, you're pulling a double, triple trailer, you may have to have those endorsements as well. There are two main classifications of hazmat. It gets kind of complicated on whether you need a hazmat endorsement or not. So I'm just gonna to touch on this real quick, but there are two main classifications of hazmat. Those regulations can be found in 49 CFR uh, 172-500 is where the charts are that I'm referring to. That's under placarding subpart F. The, um, the bad stuff is in table one. Uh, examples of uh, explosives, poison inhalation hazards, radioactive materials. The not so bad stuff is going to be in what we call table two. Examples are like non-flammable gas, flammable materials, oxidizers, corrosives. There's more in each one of these categories. I'm just giving a couple sure, of examples. Sure. If you are transporting anything that falls into table one, you will need a hazmat endorsement. There's no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's a placardable load, uh, which means you'll have to have placards on it. You may need markings, but you will need a hazmat endorsement. And then we go to table two, and that depends on how much of table two you are carrying. If you are adding different products together in table two, you need to, you know, you have different types of hazmat. You need to add them all up together. If it's 1,001 pounds or more, you're going to need placards. If you need placards, you need a hazmat endorsement. And that's the general rule to follow. If the load you're carrying requires placards, then a hazmat endorsement is going to be needed. If it's a non-placarded load, you may not need a hazmat endorsement on your CDL. Uh, so that's basically the rule of thumb that we go by roadside when we're checking trucks. If it's got placards on it, then most likely you're going to need a hazmat endorsement. And then if it's a tank, obviously tanker endorsements or double, triple, whatever's necessary for the vehicle that you're operating. Sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, that all makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> all right. So I, I was going to ask this uh, later on, but I'm going to ask it now just because, you know, we started kind of diving into the meat and potatoes of some of the regulatory requirements here. Where can somebody find this information? So if, say somebody, they do not have a CDL they do not have a hazmat endorsement. Where? What's their starting point? Where, where do they start looking for these regulatory requirements? The internet has everything and fmcsa.gov or FEMSA, which you mentioned earlier, Pipeline and Hazardous Safety Administration. You can go online and check both of those. FMCSA deals with the CDLs and things like that for the most part. If you want the regulations, both of them carry the full list of regulations, the hazmat regulations. Everything is covered under CFR 49. And then you start getting into the different subsections and subparts. Uh, section 393, 393, 383 covers um, licensing that's required. So but you can find all of that online. It's it's all information. Or you can go ahead and order the reg books and it's all in there as well. 
I like to deal with paper, so I have reg books. Makes it easier for me to look stuff up. They do make cheap books for these regulations for drivers. That is basically the meat and potatoes of it. It doesn't go into all the in-depth regulations. They're small. They're handy. You can carry them with you in your vehicle. There are different places that publish those and put them out, and they're not too hard to find. Oh, that's good to know. So I know that when it comes to the actual transportation of the hazardous materials, there are a lot of restrictions or expectations for the driver, you know, where they can stop, how long they can stop, how far away they can be from the vehicle, overnights, things like that. What are some of the restrictions and expectations for that driver that's transporting hazardous materials? I know you can't cover all of them, but what what are some of them that are probably the most important from a safety perspective? It, again, it depends on the material that you're transporting. Let me just start off by saying that if you're a CDL holder, and it's been my experience through the courts and just in general, that you are considered a professional as a CDL holder and truck driver going up and down the road. You're held to a higher standard. And then if you're hauling hazmat, you're the cream of the crop, basically, in the opinions of the general public and law enforcement and courts. So you are held to even a higher standard when you're hauling hazmat. So, you know, there's certain things that you have to be responsible for. Not only are you operating an extremely large, heavy vehicle, but now you're on top of that hauling a very dangerous substance. So, and, and, and you should be proud that you are one of those if you're one of the drivers. Uh, but you are going to be held to very high standards. As far as an inspector goes, we were required to, a certain number of percentage of our checks had to be hazmat checks. So we tended to not pick on, but select hazmat trucks more frequently on a percentage basis than other vehicles. So you will be checked more often than you would if you were just all in general freight for the most part. The non-compliance penalties are much higher there are not very many low-grade penalties. Most of them are, are very high. There are parking restrictions and things like that. You can't leave an unattended hazmat vehicle next to the roadway. It has to be in a secured area if it's unattended. There are shipping papers and documentation that has to be placed in the vehicle at certain points if you are not in the vehicle. For example, if you have gone in to get yourself a bite to eat, which is fine. Your shipping papers have to be on the driver's seat. So if something happens to that truck while you're gone, emergency responders know where to find it. And that, and as well as when you're operating the vehicle, the shipping papers were kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but the shipping papers have to be kept. Basically, if an inspector or anybody enters that truck, they will be able to discern exactly where that shipping paper is right away just by looking around the cab. So it can't be placed inside of a folder or a clipboard or something like that that isn't labeled shipping paper. And um, and there's all the, the shipping paper is basically a description of the hazmat that you're carrying. And that allows first responders, if something goes wrong, to immediately identify it and take the appropriate actions. But there are, depending on, there you start hauling explosives, there are all sorts of, you know, safety routes that have to be filed, um, safety permits, and things like that. But for your general hazmat hauler, there it's not terrible. You know, you're, you're not going to park the, the truck along the road in front of your house with a hazmat load and then leave <laughs> sure. it there for the weekend. Sure, um, yeah. You can't do that. <laughs> Unlike general freight, which would probably be fine. 
But yeah, there are definitely many more regulations and restrictions above the normal regs. And, and you get a lot of attention from DOT troopers and officers out there with those placards running up and down the road. Sure. So when a driver is performing their own vehicle inspection, which, by the way, for, for those of you listening, it is a requirement for you to perform a vehicle inspection prior to transporting hazardous materials, uh, for those of you who may not know. But uh, when the driver's performing a vehicle inspection, what are some of the things that that driver should be looking for on that vehicle to make sure that it's safe? Right. And you're referring to the pre-trip inspection that yes. most every driver has to do. Yes. So... First of all, make sure your paperwork is in order and you know where all of it is. Make sure you got your CDL, your medical card, if it's needed to be carried with you and any paperwork, if you have any uh, restrictions or needs that have to, paperwork that has to be carried with it, make sure you have it. Um, make sure your registration, your if the paperwork, if needed, shipping papers, and for um, this shipping papers and the other ones here are going to be for hazmat carriers, but uh, hazmat registration form, your emergency response information guide, usually it's a safety data sheet, SDS, or it can be an emergency response guide. And if you're running an ELD, which most of them probably will be, uh, make sure you have all your required ELD paperwork to go along with your ELD. Electronic logging device is ELD. A lot of carriers and, you know, trucking companies that I've run into, they have a folder that has all this information in it. And just make sure you know where that folder is. If you get stopped for an inspection, the faster you can find all the paperwork, the faster you get back on the road. It makes a huge difference if it's all together. And then as far as after you make sure you've got all that, make sure you uh, you get out of your vehicle and do a, a good pre-trip inspection of, of your vehicle. Most of what we look at during a vehicle inspection roadside is what you're looking at in your pre-trip. If you take your 10, 15 minutes, it doesn't take very long, and do a good pre-trip, check all your lights, check the placards, make sure everything's good, check your load securement, you know, peek under the vehicle, make sure you don't have a brake chamber hanging down. Anything like that will be a huge help. And if there is a problem, notate it because that's where you get it fixed. And that's a CYA for the driver. If you know you find something like a brake chamber hanging on your pre-trip, obviously if you're hauling a hazmat load, especially if it's flammable or something super dangerous, you don't want to be going down the road without a brake working. Oh, sure. So, and not only that, the piece could fall off and puncture whatever containers you have, and then we've got a hazmat spill. So, you know, it, it, it's a, extremely important for any driver, but even more so for a hazmat carrier. And then the other thing I would say is maintain your vehicle's periodic maintenance checks. Make sure you get your vehicle in for the oil changes and inspections and things like that in a timely manner. And, and that will go a long way to making sure your vehicle's safe to operate. And one last thing I just want to add, too, is if you ever do get stopped for a vehicle inspection by authorities, whether it be state troopers or in local agencies, it's a job. And I always try and tell people, be courteous. We're going to try and be courteous. Everyone has their bad days, but in the end, it's a job. So we both have to work together to uh, get you checked and out the door and on, on your way. So it goes a long way for me when I was roadside, and I'm sure it does everybody else out there. So, you know, it, take it as a profession that we consider you professionals. We consider ourselves professionals, and we can most certainly get along and, and get the job done. 
Sure. I, I think the main goal for you and for the driver, I mean, the, the number one goal is transportation safely. And I think as long as people keep that in mind, that your goal or, or the inspector's goal is that you're safe and that your immediate goal should be that you're safe. I think it, once everybody realizes they're all on the same team, I think that really helps. And I know that, you know, safety should be the first goal, but I also know that <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that worry about violation and what happens to them if they're in violation, you know, as far as license suspensions and, and fines and things like that. Of course, safety should be the precedent, but I know a lot of people worry about some of the violations too. So what happens if somebody is inspected and they are found to be in violation of those transportation laws? Well, there's a bunch of different things that can happen, and they all come back to the severity of the violation. There are some violations out there that are not so serious. If you have, for example, like a marker light out, that's pretty minor, and most of the time can be fixed right there. Then you get into, you know, some of the other things. We'll start with driver violations. Have Not having a logbook with you is a serious violation and will put you out of service. And when I say out of service, I mean the driver will be shut down for a certain amount of time depending on the violation. If a vehicle is out of service, it depends on exactly what is wrong. But if the item can be fixed, usually they can be back in service and go on down the road. Obviously, if you don't have the proper CDL or endorsements on your license, that's probably a major violation there. Medical card violations can be serious or not serious. It depends on exactly what it is. There's different kinds. So all three of those things I listed, the driver could possibly be placed out of service. The big one that we have found is hours of service violations with the logbooks. Oh, sure. A that, lot of companies that doesn't surprise drive, me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of companies and drivers have a hard time doing that. The rules are changing constantly. They just changed last month, again, September 29th. And it, the electronic logging device has helped in some ways and in other ways, it's, it's become a pain in the rear for some people. But I think it, if the driver takes it seriously and is trained properly, it goes very smoothly and everybody can just, you know, he, a driver can get his hours in and earn his money and, and be happy. But it's, it's, a big, it's a big industry problem is hours of service. Shipping papers, there's violations. If you, if you have no shipping paper, that's a big violation. And then it can go all the way down to very, very small violations in hazmat. If you have the proper shipping name spelled wrong, it's a violation. If your basic sequence is not correct where the UN number listed first, that's a violation. Anything that is considered a hazmat violation, something as small as that, is, is serious. And can be it carries a lot of weight with the FMCSA when they start looking at companies and doing audits and things like that. So you got to make sure your ducks are in a row. Hazmat registration forms I mentioned earlier, if you're placarded, you need to have one. Your company has it. The problem with these forms is they expire on June 30th every year. So it's an odd date for them to expire. So we usually start catching July, August, September. We catch a lot of them who don't have their current hazmat registration forms. Emergency response books or safety data sheets. We catch those a lot as far as not being 
within reach of the driver seat belted in. They'll have them in the glove box or in the back of the sleeper or somewhere. And that goes as well for shipping papers. They have to be located while the vehicle's in operation within reach of the driver while the driver's seat belted. I touched on equipment violations for the vehicles. They kind of uh, brakes, lights, fire extinguishers, triangles, Depending on the violation, they're minor. If it results in an out-of-service violation, it adds an extra six points to their numbering system that is used by FMCSA and SAFER to um, dictate the, the company's safety rating. The safety rating is developed as a way for trucking companies to keep track of themselves and for potential clients to check on a shipping company, a trucking company. So a safety rating is from zero to 100, 100 being the worst. So the lower the number, the better the safety rating. And of course, it all goes back to insurance as well. The worse your safety rating, the more you're going to pay in insurance and all this stuff. So all of this comes back around to the company in some way, shape, or form. So the way the drivers perform and do their pre-trips, post-trips investigations, go through vehicle inspections, stay out of accidents, and all that comes back and helps the company. And usually when it helps the company, it helps the employees. The other big thing we get a lot are, are driver violations, uh, speeding, following too close. Uh, we catch drug and alcohol violations. Things like that can all be avoided. Yeah, I'm surprised yet not surprised about the drug and alcohol <laughs> violations. You know, you think if you're hauling hazardous materials, that's the last thing that you'd want to do. But somehow I'm, I'm really not that surprised. And, and you're speaking about some of these violations and the severity of them. I, you know, with your years of service, I'm sure you probably have, a, you know, hundreds of stories on transportation of hazardous materials gone wrong, so to speak. But do you have a couple of examples that you could share with us and maybe some recommendations on how you think those mistakes could have been avoided in the first place? Well, sure. I love telling stories, <laughs> but um, the, um, no, there, there's a couple that come to mind right off the top of my head. I stopped a general freight carrier, happened to be a double, triple trailer combination, a double trailer combination. We don't, in Virginia, we're not allowed triples, but it was a placarded load. And we, uh, we lifted the tailgate up to the sliding gate up and took a look inside and the hazmat that he, he had multiple different types of hazmat on, and they were palletized. And we had pallets. I, I don't remember exactly what they were, but there were pallets of explosives sitting next to and on top of pallets of flammables. And by explosives, I mean, it's not, not the real bad stuff. It was fireworks, but it's still considered explosives. Explosive and enough. <laughs> Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. And but sitting on top of and next to flammable liquids. So we had a we had a little segregation issue there where it wasn't properly segregated and we were in a rest area for that stop. So the question was is how do we how do we fix this? Do I call the company and say, hey, you have to come out and unload the entire truck and figure out a way to put it on another truck or those items were allowed to be on the same vehicle. However, they were not allowed to be next to each other. So it, it ended up being, we escorted them back. They had a local terminal close uh, within about 15 miles. So we ended up escorting them back to the um, to the their base there and they were able to their warehouse. They were able to uh, back that trailer up and move things around. The other one was a um, vehicle hauling multiple cylinders, flammable gas, non-flammable gas, 
and cylinders, and we had um, one of them was a, what we call a PIH, a poison inhalation hazard. I think it was chlorine, if I remember correctly. And that was, again, we had segregation issues, you know, cylinders right next to each other that weren't allowed to be next to each other. That was an easy fix because he only had one cylinder with PIH in it. So he was just able to move it around and get it away from everything else. But those are the segregation issues. You don't catch them very often. So I think that's why I they stand out in my mind. But they, they're extremely dangerous. If something happened, there could have been a major explosion or there could have been a major release of poison gas or, or something to that effect. And, you know, it's a checks and balances. We're not out there to ruin truck drivers' lives, but um, a spot check every now and again keeps everybody honest. Oh, sure, absolutely. And, you know, and as I said earlier, I'm, we're all on the same team. We all have the same goal, which is for the transportation of hazardous materials to arrive to the destination safely with no harm to anybody. And I think as long as everybody remembers that, uh, I think it will be a huge benefit to uh, CDL drivers or, or the hazmat uh, transportation drivers in our industry. Absolutely. I mean, the goal is ultimately everybody goes home at night. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, um, unfortunately that doesn't always happen, but if everybody just works together, we can most certainly increase the safety up and down the road. Sure. Absolutely. So what advice would you give? Let's say we have a brand new guy just getting ready to get his, his CDL with his hazmat, or he's just gotten his CDL with the hazmat endorsement. What kind of advice would you give that new hazmat driver that's just starting out in the industry? The main thing I would say is just learn, learn as much as you can. I have, when I was first starting out, you know, you go through the training, but training is, is only part of it. They're the on the job training is where you really learn. I would stop vehicles that I've never seen before going up and down the interstate. And a lot of these drivers have been there for a while. And I think it's a great resource for, for new guys. They really know their stuff. Some of these drivers know a whole lot about the compounds that they're hauling and the hazardous materials they're hauling than I do. And so I would just sit and talk to them. And I think that's a great way for new drivers to do the same thing. Learn from the guys that have been there a while, the guys and gals, and they're an unbelievable resource when it comes to that. Take your training seriously. Pay attention, get through it. And I think there's a reason there's so much training in the hazmat industry. And I think uh, if they can take it serious and be proud of what they do and just be mindful of the responsibility that they've been given and then do your best to follow the rules, get those little cheap books that you can get and look stuff up and double check the shippers, make sure that the placards that are on your vehicle are the ones that are supposed to be there. It, it gets very complicated, very fast. There's programs that a lot of these shippers use and the person running the program has no idea about hazmat, but sure. you as the driver need to. So you'll get a shipping paper from, you know, a place and it says, well, you need a flammable placard and you need a corrosive placard, but they forgot about the oxidizer that was on there or something to that effect. And so you need to double check your load, make sure everything is kosher before you take off. And that's part of just following the regular rules and regulations. Um, but as the driver, they're responsible for what their load is. If the shipper gave them the wrong information, it doesn't fall back on the shipper per se. It falls back on the driver. So um, they got a ton of responsibility. Just learn as much as you can and then keep learning is my advice. Sure. I, and I think that's really good advice. 
So listen, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, you mentioned that you're doing consultation now for Hazmat. If somebody had some questions for you or if somebody wanted to talk, how would they reach you? You can reach me by my email. It's um, Parsons, P-A-R-S-O-N-S, 1621 at yahoo.com under um, Breezy River Consulting is the name of my company. And by all means, if someone needs some help, wants to reach out to me, I'd be happy to talk to them about it and see what we can do to help. I'm actually working with another guy who is, his expertise is the in-house side of the rules and regulations, everything a company needs to do to stay within all the rules and regs, including, I mean, everything up to, you know, blood blood and alcohol testing, audits, anything like that, we can most certainly help them. We can come visit your company. Um, I probably won't go outside of the eastern part of the United States too much, but, you know, if you follow within around Virginia or somewhere, we'd be happy to talk to you. That's good. That's good to know. And I'm certainly glad that we have experts like you out there that we can uh, rely on to help us navigate some of the complexity that comes uh, along with transporting hazardous materials. It's certainly not an easy task to do, but if you follow the rules and regulations, you can certainly do it safely. Uh, Scott, listen, I want to thank you for your time today. I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I certainly appreciate you taking time to help us out in our industry. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I want to thank Scott Parsons for talking to us today about the transportation hazardous materials. I know that transportation adds that other layer of complexity to what we do, but with the right training, licensing, and guidance, and by paying attention to detail, you'll be able to transport fumigants safely. On the next episode, we'll talk about another topic I get asked about quite a bit, storage. I mean, after all, if you're going to transport fumigants and conduct fumigations, there's a pretty good chance you'll need to store them as well. In the meantime, if you have any questions about this episode's topic or any other questions relating to our industry, please make sure to reach out to us. You can find us at dagishamerica.com or on all of the main social media outlets. You can also feel free to email us at info at dagishamerica.com. And so, until next time, I'm Ben Harrell, and I hope you have a safe and terrific day.